Welcome back to our Busting Addiction and Its Myths podcast. I'm Bruno J, and I have updated the introduction to our episodes in order to address an issue that we cannot ignore, nor do we want to. It looks like COVID-19, the coronavirus, will be with us for some time, some say for another year or two. People are as frightened as they ever have been. They seek safety for their families above all, protection from the virus and from economic insecurity. But many families also face an added burden, drug addiction and alcoholism in their own homes, and what to do about it. There's something you should know. We, Safe House Rehab Thailand, were founded on the idea of safety. We hold on to the truth that clients deserve to come to a treatment clinic where they can at least feel safe and sound. Devoting ourselves to safety first gives us the firm foundation upon which everything else is constructed. Hence our name, Safe House Rehab Thailand. Thailand has been recognized as one of the world's safest places to be during the pandemic. Further, we at Safehouse have made the right adjustments so that clients and staff remain and feel safe and sound. Masks are mandatory as is social distancing, mandatory hand cleaning, daily blood oximeter readings, which is an early warning measure, and if by chance someone, anyone doesn't feel well, the local hospital in Bangbong is only minutes away. My podcast, Busting Addiction and Its Myths, is dedicated to serving families of still-suffering addicts and alcoholics by providing evidence-based advice and insight so that you can make a better informed decision on what to do and what not to do. We are sponsored by Safehouse Rehab Thailand, dedicated to a modern approach to recovery, which means that we absolutely outperform traditional rehabs when it comes to diagnostics, technology, and aftercare. To learn how we can help, just visit safehouserehab.com where we post the latest news. Hi, this is Bruno J, and welcome to episode six of season five of my podcast, Busting Addiction and Its Myths. This podcast is sponsored by Safe House Rehab Thailand, a premier drug and alcohol rehab dedicated to enhancing the art and science of recovery. First, a plug for my sponsor who has given me the opportunity to help the families and loved ones of alcoholics and addicts better understand the nature of the disease and what they can and shouldn't do about it. We say in our podcast and in our blog that our primary goal is to help you make an informed decision at this critical stage of your life. Safehouse Rehab Thailand represents the modern approach to recovery, founded on safety, which is why we absolutely outperform traditional rehabs when it comes to intake and detox, technology, and aftercare. So let's talk about why I call this episode Dancing with the Devil and Don't Even Know It. We would all agree that we as humans respond to life in ways that reflects our conditioning. What might have started as a conscious action, such as stopping at a red light when we were learning to drive, became in short time a conditioned response. We now stop at the red light without having to think about it or make a decision because it's become a conditioned response and lives in our subconscious. Dressing for work, taking a certain route to the office, greeting our co-workers, etc., have all become part of our conditioning, and that is good for our brains. It's easy. This behavior grooves efficient neural pathways that are ready to be used again and again. So our brains don't have to work harder than absolutely necessary. It takes effort to overcome inertia and start thinking differently, and who likes effort? I think you know where I'm going with this. We, who've had an addict in the house, so to speak, have also undergone successive conditioning in the progressive sense, 
and we landed in a place where we couldn't even recognize ourselves were we to visit our current selves from even a few years earlier. Let me illustrate what I mean in the context of the subconscious dance with the devil, which is just a metaphor for addiction or alcoholism. By no means do I mean to call the disease evil. It's just a disease, but unlike other diseases, denial is embedded in its very nature. So see if you recognize yourself as a family member of an addicted person in the following story. Disclosure, this story is drawn from How Al-Anon Works, published by Al-Anon Family Groups. A mother says this, It almost broke my heart to see my son spending his 21st birthday in jail, but there was nothing I could do about it. He's really a good guy, but he's had such bad luck. He gets into trouble all the time, and it's usually not all his fault. I let him live at home and give him everything he could want, but trouble seems to find him anyway. I would do anything for that boy, get him an apartment of his own, find him a job, take care of him, anything if it only would help. I am sick with worry, close quote. This is the opening statement to a counselor by a mother seeking help with her anxiety because her son is such a mess and causes her sleepless nights. Here is a lovely woman who doesn't want to go deeper into why her boy is getting into trouble all the time. Yet when she reveals that her boy is in jail because it's his third driving under the influence, she does not yet see that he is likely on his way to becoming an alcoholic if he's not already there. Look at what she's willing to do to fix her kid. Make all these sacrifices, misguided by the illusion that she has any power to change her son's direction when she doesn't have a clue as to what might be causing him to behave as he does. This might be called first-stage denial, where mom tries to define the problem in very ordinary, everyday terms, not touching on the possible cause because she doesn't see it or want to see it as, quote, that kind of problem. This can also be termed first-stage enabling, where loved ones think that the bad boy's behavior can be changed by making his life easier by arranging outside circumstances when we know that the problem rests inside. And by this stage, these might be doing handsprings, saying, boy, I've got him now. She may already be in the embrace of alcoholism, whose job it is to warp everybody close to the alcoholic. This disorder is called cunning, sneaky as in there are no signposts on the way to hell, baffling, it sends confusing signals as in, he seems normal today, and powerful. It is a progressive disease, always on the march downhill without let up unless arrested in its tracks. Turns out the family member is as powerless over alcohol, or drugs, or often both, as is the alcoholic himself, but she doesn't know it or believe it even when she's told. Her emotional well-being is tied to the well-being of the alcoholic by an invisible chain. She is looking to fix behavior that is not fixable to make herself feel normal. That is the illusion. In the early going, as in the example mentioned earlier, mom has not been alerted to the signs of a developing disorder, so she looks to make life easier for her son instead of having him experience the consequences. Let him spend a few nights in jail. Make him pay his own way. Don't give him a free place to stay. The enabling must stop. But if you don't know what it is, how can you change it? As a budding alcoholic, her son has stopped growing. He lives comfortably in an infantile cocoon that his mom has made for him. In time, his disease will demand more of him. He will become even slicker, even more willing to violate values that he once held dear. I said I would never do this, and they ended up doing this happened to me as well. This progression could take years, decades even, and I know all about it because I lived it. The mom sounds just like mine did many years ago when I started drinking and smoking pot at about 15, 16 years of age. 
And since I went away to a boarding school 600 miles from home, there was no telling what I was up to. I do not blame my mom or my dad or any parent for not catching on early. The truth is that most of the time, early drinkers grow up and moderate or stop, and only a few, we think about 1 in 10, it could be that high, continue the fateful journey downward. So the natural instinct is to say, he'll grow out of it, and most of the time he does. Alcoholism infects the unsuspecting, the innocent, the good, and the honest. It most often starts with the young one. It is most difficult to identify with any surety. By the time it's full-blown, say in the late 20s to 40s, the addict alcoholic has had so much damage inflicted on him by the disease that it takes a huge disruption to have him stop the sabotage. As I often say, it's not that he stops because he sees the light. He stops because he feels the heat. And unless he keeps feeling the heat, by that I mean hard consequences, not just mom yelling at him, his disease will keep milking the situation because there's nothing it likes better than an accommodating host. Yes, you could see the disorder as an invisible parasite that slowly but surely takes the host over. Crazy alcoholic thinking and behavior typical among those suffering from the disorder is automatic and involuntary, which means the addiction rules the addict and he has lost the power of choice. He will sabotage his prospects at work or destroy relationships, even though he would really not want that at heart, but he can't help himself. Well, which then leads to a sneaky out. If he can't help himself, is he really responsible for the consequences? Yes, he is. Although he may have lost the power of choice when it comes to drinking, he cannot avoid any consequences when it comes to his his other behavior, even if he claims a blackout. The law has made that clear. There is no other answer. Accountability is also a corner of recovery. We grow up and face the music, no matter the tune. Let's get back to that worried mom whose son may be heading into the hell of alcoholism, while mom might be starting the waltz with the devil, and an innocent and unsuspecting victim being drawn into a potential web of denial, deceit, and pain. It doesn't have to be that way. If you can identify with this early stage of your loved one's development as a budding addict or alcoholic, know that not all is lost. For what I offer you is hope that there is a path to freedom for you. Because you are the one tuning into this message, and your budding addict or alcoholic is tone deaf at this stage, most likely, as I was, you can avail yourself of many resources that will bring you the peace and hope you deserve. Let's start with connecting with others who share the same problem as you do. It's called Al-Anon Family Groups, to be found at www.alanon.org, where you can learn a lot about the Companion 12-Step Program, also of Alcoholics Anonymous. The program works for the families of addicts, too, and you could attend an Al-Anon meeting in your town. There are hundreds all over North America and elsewhere. You may suffer, but you don't have to suffer alone. Then there's the book about intervention authored by Jeff and Deborah J, J-A-Y, called Love First. I got a lot out of it because it did a great job of explaining how an alcoholic's mind works. Now that will amaze you. Finally, try Codependent No More by Melody Beatty, B-E-A-T-T-Y. It should come as no surprise that family members start exhibiting codependent behavior as soon as the disorder creeps into the house, and perhaps earlier. This is just another effect that disease has on the whole family, whether we like to admit it or not. So what have we learned about early-stage addiction and alcoholism today? 1. The signs of early-stage addiction are so subtle there's a high likelihood that loved ones will miss them and therefore attribute troubling behavior to a, quote, normal cause. 
Mom may be starting a dance with the disease early, well before she's conscious of its effects or its existence in the home. Parents don't want to admit that there may be that kind of problem at home because doing so will reflect badly on the image of their family. Shame is known as the most powerful force for a reason. It keeps things hidden from you. Three, the parent is inclined to make life easier for her addict in the mistaken belief that by making him more comfortable, somehow he will change his ways when the enabling just encourages his disease to take over. Four, at some point the addict has lost the power of choice. But that doesn't mean his behavior is in any way excused. He needs always to be held accountable, as that is an essential part of de-enabling. Five, there is much hope for peace of mind and healing for the still-suffering loved one of an addict alcoholic. We highly recommend you seek the freedom from a disease that you didn't ask for by trying the Fellowship of Al-Anon, where you will find love and understanding given to you by those who share your life story. Thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is sponsored by safehouserehab.com. Safehouse Rehab represents the modern approach to recovery founded on safety as our first priority. We absolutely outperform traditional rehabs with a sophisticated intake protocol, application of new techniques, and a more robust aftercare program.